All right, tonight tonight we're going to continue our study in the Gospel according to John. Last week, uh, <clears throat> we worked on John 5, 25 through 32 by way of the doctrine of judgments, the doctrine of Sheol, and uh, we were about to begin a study of the doctrine of the Bema. So we're going to do some review, and then we'll begin new material on page 4, but first... Let's use First John 1, 9 as may or may not be necessary. Let us pray. Father, we're grateful for the privilege of being able to come together and to study Your Word. Now guide us and direct us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, uh, let's take a look at the NIV of John 5, 25 through 32. The Lord says, I tell you the truth, the time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has him life has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the son of man. Do not be amazed at this for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not valid. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is valid. And so we assume that means he's talking about, again, God the Holy Spirit, and also perhaps John the Baptist. Alright, so then we looked at the doctrine of judgments, introduction, the scriptures anticipate a coming judgment by God on all men. Such was the expectation of the psalmist as he wrote Psalm 96, verses 11 through 13, which we read. Paul and John both confirmed that the Father has committed all judgment to Christ Jesus, John 5, 22 through 24, and Acts 1731. That, of course, because he's the one that did the work, and since he took care of the problem, he gets to judge. And, of course, as we have seen, the subject of judgment is a very large subject, much in the Scripture, where we find there is a judgment of the cross in John 5.24, Romans 5.9, Galatians 3.13-14, 2 Corinthians 5.21, Hebrews 9.26-28, and then chapter, of course, 9 verses, uh, verse 10, excuse me, and verse 10, and chapter 10. So there is a judgment of the believer in chastening, 2 Corinthians 11.31-32, through 32. Hebrews 12, 5 through 11, Psalm 32, verses 3 through 11. And there is a judgment of the believer's production at the judgment seat of Christ. Romans 4, 10, 1 Corinthians 4, 5, 2 Corinthians 5, 10, and 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. 
So you can see we looked at a number of scriptures which document the various judgments summarized. Now with the exception of the judgment at the Bema, which certainly has been taught numerous times here, but perhaps there are those out there who haven't seen that study, uh, they will get a review tonight. But they are all non-eschatological judgments, and we will look at them as a as a unit. So those are there is a judgment of the nation Israel, Ezekiel twenty thirty seven and thirty eight, Zechariah three eight and nine, Daniel twelve verses one through three, and there are judgments for the nations, Matthew twenty five thirty one through forty six, Isaiah thirty four one and two, and Joel three verses eleven through sixteen. And then there is the judgment of the fallen angels who left their first estate by becoming human in order to impregnate the women of planet Earth, excepting, of course, the women of Noah's family. Jude 6, Revelation 21 through 3 and 20, verses 7 through 10. And then lastly, of the eschatological judgments... There is a judgment of all unbelievers at the great white throne, Revelation 20, 11 through 15. Alright, then we began a look at the doctrine of Sheol, noting Sheol is a Jewish term for a place where all the pre-resurrection dead once resided, uh, and now only Sheol holds the unbelievers. And we'll talk more about how Christ took the believers out of, quote, Sheol and took them to heaven to await the return to earth during Christ's kingdom or what we call the millennium. So Sheol had two compartments, one for believers and one for all unbelievers. Sheol is best thought of as a duplex where on one side we find the beggar Lazarus being comforted by Abraham and on the other side we find the rich man in terrible pain and suffering He's begging for a return trip to earth to warn his brothers. And we looked at a couple of charts describing those events. And of course that they all, the trips of Christ down to Hades or Sheol where he took the believers home. Uh, that was done while he was taking care of the sins of the world, uh, on the cross and then later of course, uh, by his work after that, the resurrection and the life, of course, being in Christ himself. And there's the chart. But I know uh, most of you are well aware, and certainly uh, we have it on the Internet for you to, to look at. A little narrative about the chart. During the three days in the grave, Christ made two trips. He went to Sheol, also called Hades, Old Testament term Sheol, New Testament term Hades, to transport the souls of the believers from Abraham's bosom to heaven to await the return in the millennium. He also went to Tartarus to let the fallen angels who had left their first estate know his victory was complete. For for more information about the trip to Tartarus, see my doctrine of Tartarus. Pastor Merritt, of course, uh, study study books which can be found at Westbankbiblechurch.com, screening audio, and then 
go to Tartarus. Alright, the scriptures teach us that Christ went to Hades to transport the believers in the bosom of Abraham to the third heaven. The scriptures do not, however, teach us about the order in which each trip took place. I have supposed that he first went to Tartarus to let the angels know he had won. Uh, And then he went to Hades to get again the believers and return to heaven with them. So what we do know, he did go to Sheol and he did go to Tartarus during his three days in the grave, documented by Ephesians 4, 8 through 10. Now we added the chart Tartarus, uh, as you can see, to our chart. And of course it's dark, darkened, it's been shaded, uh, to emphasize it's a dark, dank place of great pain for those demons who left their first estate. And they can be described in Genesis chapter 6, just before the flood. Alright, Sheol, or its new compartment counterpart, Hades, is mentioned several times in Scripture. Sheol appears in the Old Testament more than 60 times. There it is translated hell, grave, or pit. And we'll look at a few examples when we look at the doctrine of the Bema. Alright, uh, introduction. At the judgment seat of Christ, or the Bema, as it is called in the Greek, crowns will be awarded. The Bema was a place where a king, judge, or procurator might sit to adjudicate a matter or reward uh, athletes or military heroes. It is from the Bema that the judge would issue also punishments. Uh, so you could say either punishments or rewards at the Bama. So it was at the Bama during the Isthmus Games that a winning contestant received a special reward called Stephanos. It is to this analogy the New Testament speaks when it describes church-age believers appearing before the judgment seat of Christ. Romans 14.10 But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So the word Bema appears several places in the New Testament. For example, Jesus is brought before Pilate's judgment seat, the Bema. Matthew 27:19 when he was set down on the judgment seat his wife sent unto him saying have thou nothing to do with that just man for i have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him and John 19:13 when Pilate therefore heard that saying he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement but in the hebrew it's a gabata Herod Agrippa made his final speech from Abama, Acts 12.21. And upon a set day, Herod Agrippa arrayed in royal apparel, set upon his throne, Bama, and made an oration unto them. And then Galio, the governor of Achaia, judged Paul from Abama, Acts 18.16. And he drave them, drove them from the judgment seat. Paul was brought before Abema, the judgment seat of Festus, on his way to Trump, to Rome. All right, and in Acts 25, 6, 
And when Festus had tarried among them more than ten days, he went down unto Caesarea, and the next day sitting on the judgment seat commanded Paul to be brought. And then in verse 10, Then said Paul, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as thou very well knowest. And we're studying that at the 11 o'clock hour, the trials of Christ. Uh, Excuse me, the trials of Paul. I also have a doctrine of the trials of Christ. But uh, we do have a doctrine that we've implemented in our lesson plan for for this uh, Sunday. So let's look at crowns as they relate to the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment is for believers of the church age. So crowns, definition and concept. A judgment takes place just after the rapture. The judgment seat is called, as we've noted, the Bema. And you can see the Bema, where it takes place just after the rapture, or better said, after the rapture. I can't really prove that it happens just after the rapture, but I tend to believe that. So Paul describes the events taking place at the Bema, where crowns are awarded. The details or mechanics are found in 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15, uh, where the, judge, the uh, believer's works are evaluated to determine which are human good and which are divine good, divine good getting rewarded. So I'll read, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ. Uh, which, of course, is his work on the cross. That's the foundation. That's the only way you can get there, is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, and he will, that's a first-class conditional particle, and he will build gold, Silver, precious stones, that's divine good. And he will build wood, hay, and stubble, that's human good. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. And as best we can tell, that means both the gold, silver, and precious stones and the wood, hay, and stubble will be thrown into the fire. And what comes out will only be the uh, divine good which will be rewarded with a crown or more than one crown. Who knows? Certainly at least one. All right, if any man's work abide which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So that's a good, 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 good statement for us. Even if we have none, I guess you could say. We're not real sure of that, but certainly, certainly if you don't have anything but the human good, it'll all be burned up, but you're still going to be saved. Uh, hopefully that won't be any of us, of course. We'll have some divine good, and divine good is a product of Bible doctrine in the soul. It produces uh, it's called metabolized doctrine, a themism. So the word for crown in the New Testament is Stephanos. The plural is Stephanoi. And actually it was a little crown of vegetables, mainly cereal, uh, not cereal, <laughs> celery. Alright. And it's a wreath. It was given to both athletes who won in the Olympics and also military heroes. 
With it went a large monetary stipend, a parade honoring the recipients, much like a ticker tape parade for the team winning the World Series. A significant land grant, such as 100 acres on the Brazos between Waco and Bryan. And a lifetime exemption from taxation for self and family. So your right pastor teacher will be with you at the Bema, for it is his evaluation also. Notice Philippians 4.1, Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, Stephanos, this is how you stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. So the word Stephanos appears in Scripture to describe Jesus' crown of thorns, for example. We'll look at a little word study here. Matthew twenty seven twenty nine, and when they had planted a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head, and a reed, reed in his right hand, and they bowed in sarcastically the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Then it's used of something of value in several places. First Corinthians nine twenty five, and every man that striveth for the masteries, that means who uh, takes part in the Olympics uh, or any type of athletic events, the World Series, the Golden Gloves, etc. He is temperate in all things. In other words, he trains, he trains, he works, he improves. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, uh, but we an incorruptible. Ephesians 4.1, Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, this is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Second Thessalonians 2.19, for where is our hope, our crown, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of the Lord Jesus when He comes? Is it not you? Now, says Second Timothy 4.8, there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me, or award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. And then James 1.12, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And then Revelation 2.10, Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you the truth, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, uh, and this is written to the church at Smyrna, which also includes a time period the church goes through, 100 to 300 A.D. And you will suffer persecution for ten days, a short time. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. And then when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory, First Peter 5, 4, that will never fade away. And then Revelation 3.11, I am coming soon to you, the church at Philadelphia, the church just before the rapture. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. So the church resident in heaven casting their crowns before the throne of God. Since it's actually the Lord who does it through us, we return it to the Lord in heaven, which we can see the saints doing in Revelation 4.4. Surrounding the throne were 24 elders. Those are the believers. And seated the ones who came out of the church age. Alright, and seated of them 
On them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold in their heads. 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, all right, uh, they praise God. Then it's power given the Antichrist. It's used of that power. Notice Revelation 6, 2. And I saw and behold a white horse. He that sat on him had a bow and a crown and given unto, was given unto him and he went forth conquering and to conquer. And then it's used of demon warriors, of course. During the, these days men will seek death but will not find it. They will long to die but death will elude them. The locusts looked like horses, of course, and that was what they were doing. You, you remember the book um, that was such, got such a wonderful reception described the locusts on the wings of the airplane and uh, how they finally got in the airplane somehow and began to sting all unbelievers. Uh, and they were described in the ninth chapter, as you see in Revelation 9, 7, and 8. The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. On their heads they wore something like crowns. Crowns of gold and their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like women's hair and their teeth were like lion's teeth. Left Behind was the name of a wonderful series of books that describe all this in great detail. Fiction though it might be, it's based upon, uh, you might say, history, thus a historical novel. With some liberties, of course, as do all historical novels. Alright, Israel is divided into twelve tribes. Revelation 12.1 And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And then the royalty of Jesus just before he returns. Revelation 14.14 I looked, and there before me was a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was one like a son of man with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And then in addition to the crowns awarded for divine good, there are special crowns awarded to believers of the church age. A crown of righteousness. Second Timothy 4, 7, and 8. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Colonel R.B. Thames says of this crown, that is to say the one described in those verses, it would seem to be available to those who have acquired enough doctrine to appreciate and anticipate the rapture and the blessed events following. The crown of righteousness is mentioned only once in Scripture where Paul speaks of his acquiring it because he anticipates his death at the hand of Nero. All right, And then the crown of life, if you will. Revelation 2.10 Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Again, a short period of time. Be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you the crown of life. Now the crown of life is available to all believers who not only reach maturity because Bible doctrine has been ingested and is producing, not only uh, will it be uh, given to those who 
suffer and under significant pressure, but there are those who see this crown as available only to believers of the tribulation. Uh, and that's uh, not true. But the crown of life does go to believers who have reached maturity and then hold it even under pressure. But since you all, in every age, in every situation, you find believers suffering in Scripture. And we find it as reality in time. We all have our own times of suffering. But it, uh, to think that it's only for tribulation people flies in the face of the fact that in every age, believers are deluged with pressure and testing from old Satan, even the Apostle Paul, you remember. Alright, its appropriateness for believers in all ages would seem to be strengthened by the fact that James, the brother, half-brother of Jesus, if you will, mentions the crown of life. James 1.12 Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Alright, then there's a the crown of glory. And that's available only to the pastor teacher who is faithful to the task of studying and teaching. And that both when it's convenient and when it's not convenient. First Peter 5, 2, 5, 3, and 5, 4. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, the Lord Jesus, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So fittingly, in our new natures, we are seen in heaven casting our crowns at the feet of Christ. We've already seen that in Revelation 4.10. Let's do it again. The 24 elders, those are the raptured believers, fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, and we shall read Revelation 4.11, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for You created all things, and by Your will You... Your will, they were created and have their being. Alright, now let's see what we can learn from John 5, 33 through 46. Here we go. KJV. Ye sent unto John, and he bare witness unto the truth. But I receive not testimony. This is that other witness, he says, and that's why I think it perhaps was John, was John. That is, say, John the baptizer. But I received not testimony from men, but these things I say that you might be saved. He was a burning and shining light, and ye were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. Alright, now breaking it down, uh, that is to say, John 33 through 46 in chapter 5, uh, there's a witness of works. We witness with our works as well as with our words. John 5.36 But I have greater witness than that of John for the works which the Father has sent me to finish. The same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. So we have witness of works and then we have witness of the Father. 
The Father indwelling in the Son and controlling all things provides a witness regarding the Son and his role as the Messiah. John 37 and 38. And the Father himself, which hath sent me, hath borne witness of me. You have heard his voice at any time, nor seen it, you have, excuse me, neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape, and ye have not his word abiding in you, for whom he hath sent him, ye believe not. Alright, now witness of the scripture itself, the Old Testament foretold Old Testament scripture. And what Christ would do is there in the Old Testament, he says, search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are which testify of me. And ye will not come to me, but ye might have life. I receive not honor from men, but I know you, that ye have not the love of God in you. I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, oh, him ye will receive. How can ye believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God and only from God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is no one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if ye believe not his works, how shall ye believe my words? All right, now let's see how the verse looks in the NIV without breaking it down, which we did in the KJV. The New International Version. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John, for the very work that the Father has given me to finish, and which I am, which I am doing, testifies the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have heard his voice, uh, you have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor his word dwell in you, nor does it. For you do not believe the one he sent. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept praise from men. But I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe if you accept praise from one another, yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God? But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? So again, quite an indictment in those series of verses of the scribes and the Pharisees and Sadducees, etc., as scenes. 
So I think the best way to study these verses is to review several points from the doctrine of witnessing. Alright, point one. Witnessing is the responsibility of every believer. Witnessing is the normal exhale of doctrine inhale. It is a product of taking in the Word of God and then letting Bible doctrine produce. And remember, it's doctrine in the soul that produces divine good. And it is divine good which will be rewarded. So witnessing should be something that we do as a matter of course, living in the devil's world. Now, witnessing will be effective regardless of the motivation of the one witnessing. Keep that in mind. The power is in the Word. The Word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword and pierces even to the dividing asunder the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow is in a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Therefore, be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you anything concerning the hope that is in you. And it's important to remember that witnessing is the responsibility of every believer. Witnessing is the normal exhale of doctrine inhale. And witnessing will be effective regardless of the motivation of the one witnessing because the power is in the Word. Alright, point four tells us the, of the power and gives you verses. First of all, Romans ten seventeen. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And Isaiah 55, 11, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. So the convincing of sin, righteousness, and judgment is the responsibility of God the Holy Spirit. Several very interesting verses, 16, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient, he's talking to the disciples, and then by way of secondary application to us, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter, that would be the Holy Spirit, will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Notice, of sin, why? Because they believe not on me. In other words, this this is very interesting set of verses. First of all, of sin, because you don't believe. That's why we need to leave sin alone. It's the issue is, do you believe or do you not leave? Don't go in there and say, hey, you are doing this and you are doing that. You shouldn't be doing that. No, just simply say, you know, we all sin and come short of the glory of God. Christ is the answer to sin. That's what He took care of on the cross. So He's going to, the Holy Spirit's going to convince of sin because they do not believe on Me. He's going to convince of righteousness. Why? Because Christ went to be with the Father And there's no more righteousness on earth because he's gone. Plus R, we call it. Plus righteousness. And then of judgment because the prince of this world, Satan himself, is judged. Alright, some false concepts of witnessing. Assuming the lost will not be saved uh, if we do not witness. 
I know I've worked in many organizations, like Campus Crusade for Christ and the Billy Graham movies and and uh, other places uh, that uh, emphasize, well, you've got to go or they're going to be lost, you know. I know Tommy and I have been in Baptist churches where they've had a call. It's all based upon the fact that someone said, do you really find it's okay if people go to hell because you don't witness, you know, and they put the guilt trip on you. In fact, we went down one time at the Columbus Avenue Baptist Church after that kind of deal. Or we'll go down, you know, if God wants us to witness. And, uh, but that's not true. Uh, Christ, you know, as Titus 2.11 says, the glorious gospel that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. John 1.9 says that all men get the light. And uh, it's very clear that God is going to see to it that everybody gets opportunity. So we should not uh, think that if we don't witness, people are going to go to hell. We witness because God told us to, or should witness because God tells us to. And we wait, ready to give an answer, implies a question. Give an answer to anyone who asks you anything concerning the hope that is in you concerning Christ Jesus. Are assuming you are spiritual because you witness. And of course that's uh, easy to do if you're prone to be arrogant, which we all are from time to time. Uh, but uh, you're not spiritual because you witness. Your spirituality is taking in the Word of God and letting the Word of God produce. So we're going to stop right there and I got my 13 pages in, and that's all you're going to get. <laughs> all right, let's go. Let's uh, have a bit of an invitation here to anyone who may be without Christ, without without hope and without eternal life. So, uh, right where you are, if you haven't believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, right now is the time to do that. You may be out there and listening on the internet or you may be listening on the podcast but and you've never actually believed on the Lord Jesus Christ well now is a good time to do that so uh, just recognize that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God for the wages of sin is death and the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord so uh, God gave us his son in order to take care of the sin problem. Sin was judged on the cross. So the issue is not sin any longer, but it's what are you going to do with Christ? So uh, if you've not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, I would recommend it right now. Just as the Scripture says, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God sent His Son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on the Son has everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, because the wrath of God abideth on Him. Father, thank You for the privilege of being able to come together and to study Your Word. I would ask that You would guide and direct And that God the Holy Spirit would take that which I have presented, make it real in order that we might grow in your wonderful grace and become more like our Lord and Savior, 
even Jesus the Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen.